I'm always envious of children because they have such curiosity and they naturally want to stop and, and look and explore things. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. Kate Graham, coordinator of early childhood and pre-K programs for Arlington Public Schools, is joining us in just a moment to talk about curiosity in those early years. But first, we're going back, way back. People often ask me if I've always been curious, given the show, and I honestly don't know how to answer that question. So I put the question to my parents. Well, you you were a curious kid <laughs> in both forms of the uh, meaning of the word. Uh, I, at least, definitely wanted to uh, encourage that. I think asking questions is... Uh, a really important intellectual endeavor, maybe the most important intellectual endeavor. And so uh, I definitely encourage it, mostly, I think, by taking you seriously. And I think that by leaving you on your own to explore your own world there, your room, of the books you had, of the imagination of whatever you wanted to do, the painting, the drawing... I don't remember a lot of I'm bored from you guys, from you and Mark. I, I see it as a really important trait to try and encourage. And I, and I guess I think that you can do it both very explicitly and and quite ex- implicitly. Lynn, when you raised this subject, what came immediately to my mind uh, was you at about age three, I think wanting to watch uh, Hamlet oh, on yes. television with us. And this this seemed like a pretty futile enterprise to me. But I think it should go to sleep in, in 15 minutes. But you didn't. What you did was to ask questions. Uh, you know, who's this? Who's that? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? So you stayed up through the whole performance asking questions and uh, clearly absorbed it because the next morning you were talking about it and saying it was so sad that Hamlet didn't have any friends. But it was a striking example of how if you feed curiosity, it it keeps growing. You got a little information, you wanted a little more information, you wanted a little more information, and you stayed right with this complicated plot and complicated language by asking the questions that help you make sense of it. Well, there you have it. Going even further back beyond my own ancient history to the early 20th century, American philosopher, psychologist, and educational reformer John Dewey argued that it's impossible to educate children if their curiosity isn't engaged. Jean Piaget, a Swiss clinical psychologist known for his pioneering work in child development, came along with a more explicit theory about developmental stages and curiosity in particular. Piaget believed that children don't sit around waiting for other people to present problems to them. Instead, they actively seek problems to solve. One might say they create problems to solve. You may have noticed this. And then they try to make sense of the results. 
Again, the little experimentalists. If the kids' experimental results don't make sense, if they're surprised by those results, then they're going to be even more curious. So Piaget viewed curiosity as a function of surprise, that incongruity between expectation and what actually happens. Links to all of this on Facebook. Choose to be curious, of course. And with all of that as background, I wanted to bring someone in who could talk about that ultra-curious developmental phase we once inhabited. Enter Kate Graham. Kate's the coordinator of early childhood programs for Arlington Public Schools. She, na- she and I were on a team together some years ago with Leadership Arlington, and it's been a while since we've had an excuse to hang out, so this is nice. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. I have to say, I have been following your at APS underscore early child Twitter feed. And I'm thinking, you've got to have the most fun job in the county. You know, I really do. I love to tweet. My teachers make fun of me because they see me getting my camera out and they say, oh, my goodness, we're going to be on Twitter, aren't we? (laughs) Well, and it's delightful. You know, some people like puppy videos or kitten videos. I kind of like your pictures because Mm -hmm. these are kids who are nearby clearly having a lot of fun. We find it so great way to translate the world of early childhood to others. Uh, well, and I was it was really my first question. You anticipated it. And why is fun so important in this context? Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm always envious of children because they have such curiosity mm-hmm. and they naturally, um, you know, want to stop and, and look and explore things and really touch and feel them. And so that's something that we always encourage our teachers to do is to take a step back and make sure that they're watching their children and listening to them uh, so that they really can capitalize on that curiosity. And I really, you know, as I was doing the research for this show, I really realized how much research supports doing that, that sand tables and water tables and playing in mud and picking daffodils before the snow, (laughs) for instance. Those things are actually really important for kids to do, aren't they? Absolutely. All of the early childhood greats out there began talking about really following the child, right, and and watching and, and letting them explore and touch and feel things. There's a great quote from Jamie Holmes on this, that the emotions of learning are surprise, awe, interest, and confusion. That's really what little kids, that's like where they live, isn't it, is in that mix of that stuff. And it also involves taking risks. Right. Feeling safe to to be able to take those risks. And and for instance, worms are really big right now. We all got our worms. (laughs) Tis the season. Yes. And so we actually order them um, and we order little habitats for each classroom. And and so the children are exploring the worms. And it's always interesting to see the contrast between the folks in my office when we receive the worms (laughs) and some of the teachers when they receive the worms and the students because Uh they just love touching the worms and Uh, you know, exploring them and seeing what the worms can do. And do they experience it as sort of a risk? Like they they don't experience that discovery and fun as a risk in the way that we kind of impose that, it sounds like. Is that right? Right, right. Yeah, but I do think it it does take risk-taking. And we Mm -hmm. have a lot of children from all over the world that move to Arlington. And so we don't really know what their experiences are coming to the table. So, you know, sometimes it does involve an element of risk-taking to be curious. Talk more about that. That sounds like um, an interesting richness to the Arlington population. 
Right. Well, we have over 50 languages in our pre-K population alone Wow. Um, that come to school. And for many of them, when they start school, English, they have never been exposed to English. It's not their first language. Um, so even trusting that those adults in that school is, is a big thing for them and um, and taking their hand and, and um, you know, knowing that it's okay to make a mess. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to ask questions. Right, because we do send some messages about that, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, don't make the mess. Don't make the noise. uh, Don't get into that. Yeah, Yeah, I think accidentally, you know, Mm -hmm. we send that as adults. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, well, let me back up a minute. How many kids are we talking about in Arlington? What ages? I mean... So we have over a 1,000 pre-K students in Mm -hmm. Arlington Public Schools. That includes special education pre-K that starts very young. And we have the primary Montessori program that starts at age 3, 3, 4, and 5 in a multi-age classroom. And we also have the VPI program, which stands for Virginia Preschool Initiative. And that serves uh, 4-year-olds who may not otherwise have a pre-K experience. So it's a lot of kids. Absolutely. It's a lot of kids. And that's bringing in 50 different languages among young children. So that's a great Mm -hmm. opportunity, right? I mean, if they're learning in two languages. It's really incredible to see the difference um, in just visiting classrooms this time of year uh, Uh versus the beginning of the year, right? When everyone is new um, and everything, every every aspect of the classroom is new. Uh, You know, a lot of the snacks that we provide are new. Apples for some students is is a new new food to try. So it's really interesting to, to be able to to walk in their footsteps throughout the year with our teachers and and experience things for the first time. Tom, and what difference might you anticipate between now and, say, the end of the year? What, what, what changes do you see there? Well, they just continue to grow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they keep getting taller and taller every time I go to see them. <laughs> and they're really becoming kindergartners. You know, uh-huh. they're really blossoming into, you know, students who are very brave, who are very bold, who walk up to other students and, and help them and introduce themselves freely. We've had a lot of parents that share that aspect oh, with nice. us, that their child is very social now and really mm-hmm. wants to reach out and help others. Mm-hmm. Um, they know how to play cooperatively. They're more independent. They're taking care of um, their things at home, and they want to help make their own instead of having all of that done for them. So a lot of those qualities. And of course, there's some academic components as well of mm-hmm. um, those early literacy skills and, and picking uh-huh. up on songs and rhymes and, and uh, identifying letters and so forth. But really, it's those social skills that we're most proud of. Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit about how what some adults might look at as well, that's just play. That's, that's not really academic learning. Sure. Research sounds like, oh, no, 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 no. All this play stuff, this is like really serious learning. Absolutely. There's so much that's serious learning. Um, You know, and again, I tweeted a picture not too long ago of of a simple child's drawing, and it was a Uh self-portrait. And I just tweeted that, you know, of how, how much fine motor skills it takes for a child to hold the crayon and to make the shapes and the lines that were on right. that particular drawing and how they're self-aware that of the parts of the body at this point. Because um, so many of our students come in just scribbling, you know, uh-huh. and some things that I think we take for granted in, in families of simple things like cooking. Uh, uh-huh. One of our classrooms, we just read, you know, um, the red hen makes a pizza. And of course, a lot of the classrooms want to make their own pizza afterwards. Uh, sure. And one of my teachers noticed that the children really didn't care as much about making the pizza as they did about feeling the dough and smelling the dough and tasting the dough. And, and she said, you know, the pizza's kind of disgusting if we let them all play with it to this extent that they want to. So she actually bought two separate 
you know, things of dough and, yeah. and just had one day where they could just explore. And, you know, and that was the day that I happened to walk into the classroom and there's flour everywhere. It's a janitor's nightmare. <laughs> but I've never seen children just so happy giggling with, mm. you know, excitement about how when they, you know, when they try to spin the dough, how the flour kind of goes up in the air. And mm. when they clap their hands, what happens to the flour? Um, and just really exploring and being curious with that particular medium, you know, is it, just so exciting. And there's so many opportunities to do that in the home that I think sometimes we're in such a rush to get to the final result right. um, that we forget. It's those experiences that children really remember for a lifetime. So I read actually a good deal about how young children ask so many questions, and then that, that really sort of drops off. And one study suggested that sort of toddlers, young kids, will ask 25 to 50 questions per hour at home. They may do less um, in a group or school setting. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you, in your experience, you see that, um, whether there are sort of tips for cultivating that. Well, um, you know, I work with a lot of community groups, too, mm -hmm. that support early childhood, um, even zero and up. The, and they're always talking about how we really um, want to talk, talk, talk with children and, and let them have those opportunities. And that is that goes for English or whatever home language you may speak, because right. that's only going to help children um, to acquire that language. Right. If they're reading, lis writing, listening and speaking and letting them express themselves, um, because that's how they're going to perfect it. We have a lot of children that maybe it might be hard to understand them, but the more they talk, right? The better, the easier it's going to be for them to articulate the language. And so, you know, that's that's one of the things, right, is play is a, is a great equalizer. We have a lot of parents right, right now applying for pre-K next year, and they're calling my office saying, you know, well, my, you know, we don't speak English in our household. Will my child be okay in school? Uh, um, yeah. And we tell them, absolutely, you know, because, and your child, in fact, is not only going to acquire English, but is probably going to come home speaking two or three other languages um, because they're going to make friends. One of the first... Um, things that our teachers work on are names, right? So uh -huh. that we can learn our name and identifying the names of our friends in the classroom because mm -hmm. then we can talk to them, then we can make friends and we can um, you know, express ourselves. We can tell tell on them if they're doing something inappropriate or, uh -oh. or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's it's important to allow children to express themselves and, and to say that it's okay and, and give them multiple opportunities to do so. You know, I think the old fashioned way of teaching was when the teacher is doing all of the talking and, and children are kind of sitting and following along but our teachers really encourage a lot of singing and a lot of movement um, and a lot of opportunity to talk with their friends. Well, and I love, um, as you say, the talking with their friends. I mean, the opportunity to be curious about the kind of diversity that we have in Arlington. It's mm -hmm. like, you've never tasted that. Well, I've never tasted this other thing. Do you like that? I mean, just right. that's a, that adds layers and layers of opportunity for that curiosity to kind of come forward. I love Absolutely. that. And do you... Do you work with parents in terms of parenting tips and and also kind of cultivating that curiosity? I mean, some of us were raised with the curiosity killed a cat, right? You were discouraged from curiosity as a right. kid. Do you offer tips to parents about that? Right. Well, with our VPI four-year-old program, we send home tips every month um, mm -hmm. in four different languages. So you send parents these tips on a monthly basis. That's great. Yeah, tips as well as um, manipulatives they can play with at home that, that mimic oh, nice. what they're doing at school. Um, and we always send a book as well. So in the fall, um, all children get a toothbrush kit um, uh -huh. as well as Goodnight Moon. Um, so oh, they nice. can talk about routines at home and, and setting those routines of brushing your teeth and, and uh, reading a book before going to bed every night.
That's wonderful. That's really wonderful. So I have a favorite curiosity quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. She wrote, I think at a child's birth, if a mother could ask a fairy godmother to endow it with the most useful gift, that gift would be curiosity. So talk to me about endowing that gift. How else? Toothbrushes, books, tips, daffodils, worms. How else do we endow that gift of curiosity? Well, a lot of times we we support it through the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, four-year-olds can really teach the world a lot, in my opinion. <laughs> and, <laughs> Probably and, a lot. <laughs> and as much as we may do about, you know, for instance, um, you know, we have such amazing Arlington libraries here in the county that have great resources for families. And as much as we may push adults to go to those libraries, we found if we encourage our students to be curious about the wonderful gifts that are in those magical places, then they go home and they encourage their parent, we have to go to the library, we have to go to this oh, event. And they're probably more persuasive than you are. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so, you know, being persuasive through the children a lot of times will get us, you know, where we need to be um, that much faster uh-huh. Uh-huh. because it's contagious. Uh, good, good. So what do you think of Piaget's theory of curiosity, that it's about surprise and expectation. Does that align with, uh, with your work and experience? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it really goes back to our early, early scientists, right? Um, you know, one of our trainers that works with our teachers calls students aggressive researchers um, because oh, they're nice. constantly, um, you know, researching, well, what would happen if I do this? You know, and I think when, when educators and adults that work with children think of children in that way, it helps us to better understand behaviors we may see, right. um, whether desirable or undesirable or surprising to us. Um, it helps us understand kind of why, where they're coming from. You know, learning through those experiences, you know, we had um, the other day we had a class and they made they brought in some snow and made a little snowman in the classroom. And they were so upset when they came back from lunch and their snowman had melted. (laughs) It was absolutely horrifying for Uh them. And they are still distraught to this day that that snowman had melted. And so it really gave them an up close personal experience with the idea that, you know, snow melts, that, right. you know, heat warms things. So um, with, without, you know, and, and in a way that's very authentic, right? And so when we can really create opportunities for authentic learning and for children to, to really be in the driver's seat, then mm-hmm. it's going to help. Nice, nice. So are Arlington Preschool teachers and staff trained in curiosity? I wouldn't say they were trained in curiosity specifically, uh, I think that they, all of our teachers are, you know, very well trained um, and have extensive backgrounds. You know, we have a very low turnover in our pre-K programs because our teachers just love what they mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And we really have developed a family of pre-K teachers, so to speak, even though they're not in one building. When they see each other, they get so excited. And um, we've even had collaborative walks where we've taken, you know, a car full of teachers to one school or another to kind of change, you know, share ideas. And a lot of times, uh, you know, this helps them to become stronger teachers because they're working together and they have um, such a bond, you know, mm. with each other. And so I think, you know, sometimes just by sharing those ideas, they get curious about other ways to to tackle problems or to help um, support students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. So it's obviously a real plug here for the importance of 
selecting well, training well, resourcing well. Because um, it's such a it is such a pipeline, and I really I think about those studies where you know this is such important foundational work that then pays off kind of in the long run. So I know um, there's a there's a week of the young child coming up. Talk to me about what's happening in Arlington in the week of the young child. It's what April. 23rd through 29th. Okay. It's the last week of April, and we're so excited. Um, we started this a couple years ago. The Week of the Young Child, of course, is sponsored by NACI, the National Association for the Education of Young Children, and it's the nation's largest organization for early childhood educators. Mm-hmm. And um, so a couple years ago, we kind of got together and said, there are so many great things here in Arlington for young children. Let's put them in a booklet and make sure everybody knows about that. And so it's just built, from, built on um, on top of each other from there. Uh so last year, we have some returning uh, events that were, have been very popular. Uh, the planetarium opens up for us with a couple free showings, um, oh, great. which is very exciting. It's always been very popular. Uh, the Career Center, you may not know, has a wonderful veterinary science program. That has, I have been there with a, an yes. amazing selection of animals. Oh, my goodness. And it's so fun. Originally, last year, we wanted to just go and see Snickers, who's the miniature pony. Sure. Um, but when we got there, the children were just in awe of all the animals. <laughs> that were there and all of Snickers' friends. There's tortoises crawling along, there's birds, there's snakes. Um, and the high school students there are just fantastic. We I pay them in pizza for helping us out with uh-huh. uh, with this event, but they're just wonderful with our students too and family. So that's something to check out. And this year we have a few new activities. We have um, we're going to do a tour of the Fort Myer stables to see the beautiful stables. Oh, that's right there fun at Fort too. Myer. Yeah. Yeah, which is so close by. And we're also gonna have um, a superhero training camp um, for all the spy superheroes out there at Alcova <laughs> Park. Um, and there's a few organizations that are going to help us out with that. Uh, so that should be really fun and a princess night. And, and so, so are these things. all sort of free and open to the public? Absolutely. Anybody with a preschooler? Yeah, a lot of the oh, events cool. are free anyway. Um, and some are, um, we're fortunate that businesses and committees and, and groups are just um, supporting us in this. And so everything is open to families zero to seven, ages zero to seven. And yeah, and so we have a lot of events. We have a couple events for parents too. We have one um, on you know discipline techniques and so forth and how to how to help your child through some of those hurdles. Um, so yeah, a lot of events. They're all free. They'll be on our website. Uh-huh. Good. And give us your website. Yes. Yeah, so it's apsva.us, which is the Arlington Public Schools website, slash W-O-Y-C. We'll take you right to the week of the young child oh, on page. Okay. And we'll be updating that as we get closer to that fun week in April. And I'll put um, links to all of that on my Facebook page wonderful. as well. So if people can't keep track of that URL, they can they won't lose you. So that's wonderful. Great. So anything else that we should be having our eyes on with the no. Office of early childhood and pre-k right now we're currently accepting applications for next year so if you have you have or you know somebody that has a three-year-old that will be three by september 30th you can apply to our montessori program if you have a child that will be turning four by september 30th um, you can also apply to our vpi four-year-old program those are till april 18th the deadline Okay, and I will put those links on the Facebook page as well, just for just for good measure. Great. So before you go, Kate, I warned you about this, right? We yes. have this big jar of wannabe analogies. And I would actually love someday to do this with small children. I think this would be kind of a fun because, you know, they're sort of unfiltered. But here, reach in. Take a, take a slip, and we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with what others on that slip. And I'm going to take one out for the audience. <laughs> okay, so you want to go or you want me to go? 
You can go first. Okay, you can I'm have the pleasure. First. Okay, so let me see. Mine is brain. Uh-oh. Huh. <laughs> okay. How is curiosity like the brain? Well, curiosity is the brain, I think. Um, but um, let's see. I think curiosity is like a brain because the brain is just all of these, um, you know, physically it's all these sort of folded in surfaces that kind of connect to one another in ways that aren't really linear. And, and then its circuitry is the same thing. And it kind of you know, ideas jump from one thing to another. And I think curiosity is like that, too, that it it jumps from one thing to another and it draws on other parts of its being to kind of help us think and problem solve and innovate and explore. So that's how curiosity is like a brain. What do you have? Um, I have radio. Radio. Oh, how appropriate. How appropriate. <laughs> um, I think curiosity is like radio um, because it – it spreads um, right through the airwaves and it can be very contagious. I think if, um, you know, when you hang around young children, I think you become more curious because you start to start to, uh, you know, take in all of the curiosity that they have. I love that. What a great plug for radio. Okay. And audience, your um, word is shopping. How is curiosity like shopping? Let us know. Facebook, Twitter, uh, hashtag analogy. Well, Kate, thank you. I told you it was going to fly, right? Thank yes, you. Yes, this was fun. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you. You're listening to WERA LP 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up on this program or any of the other fabulous listening here at Radio Arlington, check us out streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. Online, give us a like. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to give us your shopping analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks to our guest, Kate Graham, for joining me today, to my parents, Debbie and Terry Borton, you know, for everything, and to all the little ones out there who remind us every day that we too can be curious experimentalists. I hope you'll join us next time when Monique Brown returns for the second part of our conversation about curiosity and challenging racism. It'll be an important conversation, I think. Until then, choose to be curious.